I am beyond excited to be partnering with Taste of London, the city's biggest and best food and drink festival for this special four-part series. Bringing together some of the best restaurants, bars and superstar chefs of London for five days of feasting in Regent's Park, you get up close and personal with some of your favourites at wonderful immersive experiences such as the Diners Club Cook School, Fire Pit with Food Network and a whole host of masterclasses, wine tastings and so much more. So, what's stopping you? Book your tickets for the festival, which is on from the 15th to the 19th of June, and you may even get a chance to see yours truly. Use my code SEXYFOOD to get a complimentary premium bottled cocktail from Tails with every ticket. Book now at tasteoflondon.com. Welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs, and people who just love their food to find out all about their life, career, and their favourite tastes along the way. Today I'm joined by Christian Stevenson, aka DJ Barbecue the man who you simply cannot miss at Taste of London due to the smells and sounds coming from his fire pit. His combination of grilling food over a massive live fire, his huge personality and banging tunes are a real staple at Taste and somewhat of a destination within the festival. The American-born presenter and barbecue fanatic is a standout part of the food scene and it's a real pleasure to sit down with the master, albeit not in front of a live fire, to talk all things barbecue and beyond. Christian, welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. Thanks for having me. Your voice is awesome. Oh! I'm lost in it right now. Goodness gracious. No one's ever said that to me. I'm blushing. No, come on, man. You know you got the dulcet tones. I tell you what, Lord have mercy. Why do you think I call it crazy sexy food, hey? I get it, man. I know. I know. uh, Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Oh, God, this is going to be fun. First of all, how are you? Are you not the busiest man on the planet right now? You have a new book out, which is currently sitting behind you. You've just come back from Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, I'm a little bit punch drunk from Memphis, Tennessee. Love it. I, I ate ribs for seven days straight. I intravenously fed ribs through my arm. Uh, I, I ate a lot of barbecue, but, you know, that's not a bad thing, you know, reviewing ribs around Memphis. Is that and, why uh, you were in Memphis? So it's the, it was the World Barbecue Champs called Memphis oh. in May. Um, and Spin Doctors headlined on Saturday. And then Tone Loke. Remember Funky Cole Medina? Yeah. Funky Cole Medina. Yes. We can't that, can we? Yeah, so they were there. And then all the top pit masters from around the world. I got a lot of friends that compete. So it was good hooking up with all of them and just snacking back on their, on their tasty barbecue. It was, it was whole hog competition day oh on, on the God. last day we were there. So I got to... I mean, I've eaten a lot of smoked pork, to tell you the truth. What was the best thing you ate uh, whilst you were there? I had these charcoal-fired ribs from a place called The Rendezvous. It's one of the oldest barbecue joints in America, Greek immigrants that came over. So they kind of brought their Greek uh, kind of herby vibes. But then the, the main guy, Charlie Vergas, chef down in uh, in Louisiana. So he mixed Mediterranean with Cajun, and that's the dry rub on these charcoal ribs. 
And he only cooks them for about an hour and a half, hour mainly. And I've never had a quick rib. So it had a little bit more of a bite, okay. but they were delicious. And and now I'm going to be like, I want to do quick ribs because I want to oh. eat. You know, yeah, I'm always yeah, doing yeah. slow and low food. So it was like fun learning new techniques. Uh, I got to go to a basketball game for the hey. playoffs going on right now. So I got to Ooh. go see the Memphis Grizzlies uh, beat uh, Golden State Warriors. So that was fun. It was good times. Just Eating barbecue, uh, go. We were singing "Walking in Memphis" about a million times because we were going down Beale Street yeah. to Bo Diddley's joint. It was it was a really good trip, and uh, now we're just we're we're the books out, and we're, and summer is finally here, so it's all good. Amazing. So before we get into the book and everything that you're about, I always ask my guests, "What did you have for breakfast this morning?" Okay. Um. I had a fish finger sandwich. <laughs> I love I, you. Well, I was so punch drunk from all the traveling and I yeah. and jet lags just punched me in the face. Yeah. That last, yesterday when I got home, I made a big bowl of gnocchi because I just wanted some pasta. And I was so tired from only six hours of sleep in three days that I just put the pasta straight in my mouth. The pasta melted to the top of my roof. So I have no, I have no thought <laughs> in my mouth anymore. And uh, and I was just trying to find something soft to eat. Okay. Didn't realize. And I was like, man, that, that's also going to be hot. So I had to wait. I had to wait till it was cold. So, yeah, I had a big luxury fish finger sandwich in, a, in Mayo Park in southeast London, Sydenham, where I am based. But also the birthplace of color television. What? Little, little known fact, birthplace of color television, Sydenham. And oh, also it's where Salman Rushdie, Salman Rushdie hid there during the Satan, when he wrote the Satanic Verses. Wow. Well, there, listen, you're just full of fascinating facts. I love oh, this. <laughs> so I just want to take it back a bit. You were okay. born in Washington, D.C. You were raised correct. in Maryland, if I'm correct in thinking. I want to know what your life was like. I want to know what you were eating, who was cooking. Was food even important when you were a child? So I had a pretty crazy upbringing. My, I got kidnapped a lot as a kid. So uh, my, my mom was the, was like the disco queen of the East coast. So she, during the, during the disco era of studio 54, that's where my mom was. Mom was there with Grace Jones, Andy Warhol, all that dresses, Wonder Woman. You know, she was she was the she won every beauty pageant up and down the East Coast. My oh dad, my gosh. he's from Iowa, Midwest. His hometown put the Sloppy Joe on the map, and he was an officer in the Navy, and he was he was based down in Virginia Beach. My mother, you know, Miss Virginia Beach, Miss Ocean View, fell for the officer. And um, and then realized that 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 was her uh, that was her dude. It didn't work out. And my mom kidnapped me from my father a couple of times. My dad finally got us back and he won us in a landmark court case in 1975. So my dad knew how to cook barbecue. So he's trying to raise two kids and run a household. So from the age of like five or six, he was showing me how to cook barbecue. Okay, Uh, And that was it. So he had. Every house in our neighborhood had a, had a gas-fired grill pumped through the mains. So he would just give me a plate of meat and just tell, told me to go down there and grill. Uh, so steaks, burgers, hot dogs, all that kind of stuff until um, 
I stopped burning it and learning how to cook it properly. Because <laughs> uh, I remember, I remember there was a moment where I was doing a steak and, you know, I had a big layer of fat on the sirloin. I'm like, well, I'm not going to eat that. So I was like, I'll, I'll be efficient. I'll cut it off oh, before no. I cook it. And my dad's like, what are you doing? That's where the flavor is. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, you know, that's how you learn when you're six or seven years of old. Of course, of course. How did that piece of steak taste? <laughs> it was amazing. Once I, I well, I basically, I, I kind of, Put the, I kind of put it back on and make sure it, it, I <laughs> so rendered it on. It the, back on together. <laughs> oh, sorry, Dad. Yeah, what? now I'm all about fat first to get that thing rendering, and then I use that fat to kind of you know create these little fjords of flavor. You know, I'll give little slashes on the steaks just so I can create little little valleys so that fat can run through and just glisten and and just cascade over the steak to give more flavor. And so, when you were a child, I mean. You know, you're talking like quite young ages here, like five, six, seven, whatever. Um, at what point did, because I, I know you didn't just become like a chef or sort of this barbecue maestro straight away. You sort of had, you no. went through different sort of avenues. But when you were younger, what did you want to be when you were older? A geologist. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, love I, loved, I, I loved collecting rocks. Uh, I was really into geology. I just had this mad collection of rocks. I was a collector. Um, and, and then once that phase finished, uh, I really wanted to be a snowboard film producer because I was a snowboarder and a skater and a surf and all that stuff. And I, and I never saw any movies about snowboarding, but I saw movies about skating and surfing. It's like, well, snowboarding is going to I think it's going to get big someday and I want to be there for it. So I got my degree in radio, television and film at university of Maryland. And I just, I bought a school bus and I lived in it and we traveled around the world filming snowboarding all shot on film. And I would always bring a grill on tour because I like cooking. And and, and if you're traveling, it's good to have a, a barbecue, a cooker. So you can just fire up some coals, cook for your crew. And then for 10 years, I had a show on channel five. We won the network, their very first BAFTA. And I always brought a grill on tour and I always cook for all the kids. I figured if I'm giving them fast food. They're not going to, they're not going to ride very well, you know, cause you're, they're going to crash and burn. They might get this high of sugars and whatever from the fast food. But if I give them good nutritious food that tastes amazing, cooked over fire, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to shred. So, but I kept trying to put a little bit of barbecue in my kids show, this kid's skateboarding show. And, John Leach, the late John Leach, God bless his heart. Uh, Janet Ellis's husband from Blue Peter, that was my boss. He kept saying, Christian, quit trying to put barbecue into your kids' youth program. They just want to see skateboarding. They want to see barbecuing. I'm like, yeah, they do. Anyway, I, that show ran for 10 years. And as soon as it finished, I went back into my true love and I created DJ Barbecue. And here we are today. The rest is history, right? So I want to get into like the hidden depths of barbecue. And I guess the secret, or not necessarily secret, but sort of the science behind getting the best out of cooking on live fire. Because I think, you know, for sort of the average home cook, a lot of people can be a bit sort of intimidated by a barbecue Mm -hmm. um, because there's... It is intimidating. It is. It is because it's it's that lack of control. And it's that lack of control, right? You're not on your your stove, whether it be an induction or a gas or whatever. So kind of 
as we sort of come into big barbecue season, you know, we're coming into the summer, although barbecue should be for all year round, not just the summer. Sort of. Amen. Amen, Hannah. The, the best time to cook barbecue is not in the summer. That's, I don't want to stand around hot coals <laughs> in the hot summer. Who it's wants true. to stand around? Who? I think it's ridiculous yeah. that we don't cook barbecue in the winter, the the fall and the spring. These are the best months, but yeah. For some reason, people only wheel out their grills in the summer, but it's changing. No, it the is changing. Are changing. It is. But sort of kind of like break it down for us. You know, talk to us about barbecue and why it's great and, and how we can, I guess, kind get of. Get the best out of your cooker. Yeah, get the best out of it. Okay, this is it. I'm going to tell you one important thing, and it's the one thing that we reiterate in every book. Uh, and it's the one thing that people come to me and go, mind blown. It's so simple. It is. Thank you for sharing this. It, it it changed my entire way of cook barbecue. And that is indirect cooking. So look, you look at your grill. So I have a, I have a, I cook on a Weber kettle, 57 Weber. I think every house should just have that I've one. I've got one and, behind this. I'm looking out onto my garden right now and I can see the Weber. <laughs> okay. So, you, you know, you've, won't, you've got that real estate, that grill, that space for cooking, right? And then you have that little grill that covers up the holes. So, Fuel needs oxygen. And so, you, you know, you have the holes open at the bottom. You put your charcoal in, but the, everybody just kind of loads it all up with charcoal. Now, you're cooking chicken. Those fats, when they render, they hit the coals. What is coals like? Coals like oxygen. They love fat. You know, you, mm. you look at a fat fire. You get some oil in your pan. And if the flame gets in there, boom, right? That's why you see those big flame bursts on, on, a, on a grill. So if you've got charcoal everywhere and your chicken's over it all and it's just rendering fat and there's fire coming up, it's starting to go black and carcinogenic, that's no good for anybody. But if you got indirect indirect heat, you've got different temperature zones. So I always get everybody basic. Charcoal on one side, no charcoal on the other. That way you get your sear here, you get your middle bit cooked over here. You put your, your lid on, you move the chicken over here, you turn your outdoor grill into an outdoor oven, but it tastes better because you've got this wonderful fuel that's got flavor. You know, wood chunks in there, really well-made British charcoal. You've got flavor in your fuel. So once people understand that they don't need to cover the whole bottom with charcoal, it's like a revelation because now you have different temperature zones. You know, I call it a goof-proof zone. So I don't mess up my barbecue because I'm drinking a beer. I'm drinking a glass of wine. I want to have a good time. I don't want to get stressed over a grill because people enjoy standing out and, and, and poking meat and veg on a grill. So always give yourself different temperature zones, you know? You know, you can even do a bit of a slant technique. So you have charcoal kind of going down like that and then no charcoal. So That's you got a hot heat here, medium hot, you know, medium. And then a lot of times I just cook over that kind of that equator. You know, like if I'm doing like some smoked garlic, I put it right on that middle line. So I get this kind of hot smoked garlic. I just ooze it on the food when I'm done. So, and if you're doing like a whole chicken or maybe like a, a top side or, or maybe like a, a leg of lamb, you know, put it on the indirect side. And that way you've just, you're just basically using that grill as an outdoor oven. And is it also just an element of patience as well? Because so something like a leg of lamb, that's that 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 scares me a bit of putting it on the barbecue because Why? I have been because 
I've I've probably done it all. I don't barbecue much. My my husband kind of loves all of that, and he actually is your kind of guy. Like he's going to be barbecuing in September, in like December. Like that's his Good. thing, right? So he so, takes the turkey. Does he? Is he done the turkey yet for Christmas? Has he taken the main event outdoors? No, but he needs because to do that. He's gonna probably going to do that this year now. Think about it, everybody. You only have so much space for the, the big Christmas dinner or the holiday dinner. Yeah. And you, you got your turkey in there. What else? There's no more room for anything else. Take the main event outdoors and do all the sides indoors. But it's like some so something like a leg of lamb. I mean. I've been known to try and do it before in the past and it's gone terribly, terribly wrong. You know, it's red raw in the middle, you know, I don't mind lamb being pink, but it can't be like fully raw. This isn't beef. Um, And then it's so so seared on the, on the side, on the outside that it's like, I don't even know how to rectify this. Okay. So, for some, so just something like really standard. I'd love to like get some tips on like how to make a good steak. You know, everyone loves a steak. We're going to be eating a lot of that over the summer. So meat's expensive and it's yeah. only going up in price. So if you're going to spend that kind of money on a steak, you don't want to mess it up. <laughs> um, so you, the key is first, take it out of the fridge like an hour before you cook it because you're battling energy. So it's a muscle. And when you when a cold muscle hits a hot heat, what does it do? It gets it gets upset. It's all it gets all stiff. So if you relax it and you you do all a lot of that, it's like pre-cooking, you're tempering it. So you're just gonna hit it hot over direct heat. And then, you know, depending depending on the size, like if it's a thin steak, you just want to get it really hot. But the key is cook to temp not to time everybody just thinks how long do i cook my steak for i'm like well i don't know how big your steak is i don't know what your fuel source is i don't know how far your charcoal is away from the grill True. so invest in a good like a thermopen or like a meat thermometer a good one it has like a quick kind of read and cook that steak to temp like say i'm doing like a, a big old uh ribeye i want to get it to like medium rare because i want the faster render so i cook it to like the early 50s and then I, I, I probe it. To, I do a couple little hits with my probe, make sure it's, you know, I'm sitting around like 52, 51, 53. And then I pull it off to rest. And while it's resting, it's still cooking and it's going to probably rest around mm-hmm. 55, 57. I got a medium rare steak. If I want a rare one, I do it like, you know, in the kind of like 47, 48, 49 degrees. So it rests like in the middle. So it's just <sighs> cook the temp. I, I you can't cook to time when you're when you when you want that perfect kind of blushing piece of meat. So with your leg of lamb, because there's so many variants going on, right? It's like if we all had yeah. exactly the same barbecue, exactly the same the number of charcoal you're putting in, what the temp. Yes. I mean, do things like out of curiosity, now that we've just spoken about barbecuing throughout the year, does cooking in the winter change anything? To oh, opposed yeah. to cooking in the summer. So there is a difference there. Well, you're battling elements as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I'm cooking with big smokers. And even in the summer, if I get a rainstorm coming in, I'm battling elements. So that's why mm. you, you got to feel your food. You got to probe your food. You got to touch your food. Like, don't be scared of it, right? Just don't, don't be, be scared. scared of all the bits of it. Yeah, touch it. Like, say, if you don't have a probe, you can also do this technique. So here, touch your cheek right here. Touch your cheek. And you touch your steak. That's rare. Right there, oh, that yeah. little pocket, that little yeah. pocket, that's rare. That's medium. Oh. That's well done. Oh, we, no, I don't want that. 
No, that's grandma's steak. You know, oh, I want it well done. I want it well. My dad, too. Uh, no, my dad's kind of like medium well. I want well. this. I want this here. Yeah, right here. Okay. If it's fillet, I might go here. Yeah. But I want it here. Or you can do it this way. So you just take your thumb to your finger and then, but don't push, just touch. And then put touch in here. That's rare. Next finger is medium rare. Ooh. Next finger is medium. And that's well done. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Got you. So that's what you do if you don't. So it's, it's getting to know your, your cooker, getting to know your fuel, getting to know your food. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. And the good news is after, during lockdown, people had nowhere to go. So they leveled up, they next leveled up their backyard. They invested in cookers. You couldn't get a grill to save your life. It was like, they were like gold dust, but people got better at cooking. And we wrote a book you know, for beginners, but also for those that want to be a bit more ambitious and it's all about sharing recipes. And that's why we wrote that book because we wanted to help people get the most out of their cooker. And we're going to come to the book in a bit because it is super exciting. But before we leave the actual barbecue, I want to know, what would you say is your favorite meat to grill on a barbecue? My favorite meat. Or your favorite cut. My favorite cut is going to be a ribeye every time. Because the ribeyes have the marbling. They have yeah. all those fat ribbons that go through it. Mm. And, and here's another tip for you. Score the fat. Because ribeyes have that kind of really big uh, fat layer that kind of comes down the middle because there's different cups on, on a ribeye. And you want to give it a head start. You don't want to be biting into lukewarm fat. You want to be biting into glistening, popping, melting yes. umami fat. You yes. know, that's soaked up the salts and the peppers. So... I kind of I kind of get in with a knife on my fat, even on the outside. Say it with like a sirloin. Just put some pork chops. You got that big fat on the outside. Just make little big indentations so you you're you're helping the fat render so it can flavor the meat. Mm. You're, you're you're giving everything a bit of a head start. Mm. And if you get a really big ribeye, take a frying pan, give it a smack. Open up those pores around the fat so the fat doesn't just roll over, it rolls within. You know, say you're, you're doing a burger. Don't be buying the 10%, you know, beef fat mints they have there. Go minimal 20. Yeah. Because it's just going to dry out. Yeah. I mean, my perfect burger is like minimal 30% fat with some suet or bone marrow in there. I'm yeah. supercharging my yeah. burgers. He's going and, for it. <laughs> and I, and I kind of, I don't make it super tight. I make it. I make it enough to hold, yeah. but I want the fats to render and just kind of go through those little caverns, those little meat caverns, and and nooks and crannies and fjords and just oh, fat is just everything. Fat is like God. It is. For, <laughs> but for, that's for, the problem. For... We've all been so miseducated on this, you know. And listen, I'm not saying that everyone needs to start eating a high fat diet. I'm not into all of that sort of stuff, but. As we, as you mentioned at the top of this conversation, if you're investing and buying good, expensive meat, and listen, it's expensive out there. We don't need to bang on about it. We know it. Then enjoy every part of it. That's it. Right? We're, Why we're, are you going to chuck I, all that stuff in the bin? What a waste. I, I just bought yesterday a 17-year-old Shetland cow leg. So it's an animal that's lived for 17 wow. years. It's a happy cow. It's lived its life and now I'm going to eat it. So that fat is yellow. It's, it's, it's grass fed. It's been walking. It's, it's had a good life. And the efficient thing to do is to eat it. Yeah. 
You know, I'm not, that's not an animal. But that was a 300 and something pound piece of meat. And it's mainly fat. But that mm. meat inside that fat is going to be ridiculous. It's going to be rad delicious. Oh my God. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to, we've, we've taken apart a Land Rover winch system and we've built some guitar pedals and we're going to have it uh, on a rotisserie and we're going to, we're going to cut some of the outside facts. There's so much fat because the animal's been, it's an old cow yeah. and it's yellow. So I'm going to put the fats in a big bucket and I'm going to render it, render all those fats. Uh, I might even put some, um, some beef drippings in there, maybe some butter and then I'm going to make a huge rosemary mop. And me and my boys, Chris Taylor, who I wrote the book with, uh, we're going to just make a big rosemary mop and just baste it with oh this herb mop, God. this magical mop, with its own fat. And then we're oh. going to make little beef uh, like steak tacos with a pico de gallo and a little like kind of like a vinegar slaw. Sorry, uh, when are you co- having this? We're cooking for Claude Bossy's 50th this weekend. Fabulous. <laughs> I'll be there. I'm gate crashing. Just leave my name at the door um, if possible. You can come be crew and then, you know, you can, you know, chef, chef's rights on the, on the food. We'll work it out. We'll work it out. <laughs> um, back to something you just said. I do got, I got to tell you a funny story that you will appreciate. So in the height of lockdown, when I'd lost my mind completely and there were absolutely no barbecues on sale anywhere, um, I was living at my parents at the time. And for some reason, the, the barbecue that is sitting outside here had, was not in the vicinity of so I took it upon myself to and this is so embarrassing talking to you of all people about this but I took (laughs) it upon myself to go and buy one of those little foil tin ones yeah (laughs) no way so I thought because I hate being proven wrong and I'm very stubborn that I could cook my hamburgers on this well an hour and a half later whilst I'm still trying to get the bloody thing to light properly I gave up I gave up and I had yeah. to, cu- I had to cook them inside, be- but it was the most hilarious experience. And I actually oh. filmed the whole thing because you're- we're sitting there in this garden, like, Oh my God, why won't anything happen? It was a disaster. It, it, it was a I disaster. have done some how, how to videos on how to cook on a, on a, you know, yeah. nah, sorry. petrol station grill, yeah, but no. you know what? <laughs> the best way to do because they've got so much lighter fluid on the yes. charcoal, you got to cook all that off. But you've also, it, there's no distance between the fuel and the grill. So you know what you do? You get it lit because some people will still cook with them. Okay. And then you, you take some tongs and you, you, you shovel. So you put, you do indirect on that. So you've got this side uh, with charcoal, okay. this side with none. Make sure it all kind of starts to cook down. Then you got temperature zones. So you can go indirect on a petrol station grill like you would on your Weber and then you can like get your sausages over here, get get the color, move them over here. Same yeah. with the bird, get the color over the direct heat, move them over here, get some residual heat so they cook in the middle. But you yeah. can't, you can use it. They just suck. I mean, it was a disaster, let's be honest. Um, I got to ask you, now that you have just come back from um, Memphis, um, where is, aside from obviously the past week, where is the best barbecue you've ever eaten? Like where, where has been the best place? And where can we find some of the best barbecue in the world? I think the best barbecue in the world is, the, is what you're cooking yourself. I mean, I always say to I used to be a, a snowboarder and, and I always said to my, I was a team manager for the van snowboard team for 10 years. And I always said, I said to the youngsters when I was, you know, signing them up and I was encouraging all these youth to go, and I go, you know, the best snowboarder in the world is, and they go, they start name checking all these names. And I go, uh, uh-uh, it's the one having the most fun. 
So whoever's having the most fun, that's that's where I'm at. You know, whoever's cooking for me, that's the best barbecue right there. But if you want some suggestions, uh, yes. I, I mean, you've got, I mean, there's a lot of good place. Um, David Carter, where's his place in Shoreditch? The name escapes me right now. God, oh. do you want American or do you want UK? I mean, let's 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 put some in London. Is it not? It's not smoke. Smokestack. Smokestack. Yeah. I think is the best bar. Really, some of the best barbecue. Is it I mean, really okay? I'm desperate to go there. Okay, right. I'm oh yeah, going. his yeah. brisket's incredible. Okay. Um, yeah. I, gosh, there's so many guys. Salt Shed are doing a good job. Um, and it'll, you, once you leave London, there's a lot of like barbecue joints all popping up. You got Andy Slow and Low up in Birmingham. Uh, Shropshire Lads doing a lot. A lot of pop-up barbecue is happening. I mean, I think I think England's got some of the top barbecue chefs going. I'm going to be in New York in a few weeks. Anywhere in okay. New York I need to check out? Hometown. Go see Bill Durney at Hometown. Okay. Uh, Bill Bill is good friends with David Grohl. He yep. hooked up David Grohl with his... David's got a smoker like mine. Dave Grohl does. Okay. It's a Lang. And Dave, is he's been cooking barbecue. He's from my neck of the woods, Virginia. I'm from Maryland. Yeah. So my mom was from Virginia. I grew up in Maryland. Grohl was in all the kind of punk bands in our, in our DC scene, and he was always grilling. You know, when all those crazy fires happened before lockdown out in California, yes. Dave Grohl was there with his smoker cooking up brisket and pork shoulder for the firefighters. That guy is really? a good dude. Look oh, up Backbeat wow. Barbecue on Instagram. You'll see Dave okay. Grohl. I mean, he's there an amazing go. guy. Everyone I know who's met him literally says he's like the best guy ever. And I think my dad's just read his book and was like, I'm in love with him. Yep. It, <laughs> okay, him so hometown. Mom. So you're not the first person to say hometown. And I think that's so, in, it's in, um, I think it's in Red, Red, is it Red Hook. Red Hook. Yeah, 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 Red Hook. Hometown in Red Hook. The best place was Arrogant Swine, but he had to close down because of lockdown. I, I just say your solid barbecue is going to be hometown. Yeah. You know? Okay. I'm going to head there. So before we start talking about your book and Taste of London, we need to talk about this incredible brand that you have created, which is DJ Barbecue. <laughs> and I think what is so wonderful is that it's that unique, but also so sort of understandable link between food and music. Like they are two of the greatest things in the world. I, I, like talk to me about where the idea came from. Okay, so I have been DJing since I was 18. Um, I've always been into music. I, I was I always danced, so I used to compete in dance competitions as from the age of 11. Um, if w w before you know b-boying and break dancing, there was like popping, locking, b-boying. Because my mom was learning all the disco moves, she come home from disco classes and teach us all the disco. So I knew the hustle. I knew all those dances. And then I just started watching all of her music shows, like Soul Train. Yeah. So whenever the guys were doing the robot, I would just learn the robot, you know? Here we go. I, I might have oh, one or two go. moves for you. Oh, here God, we go. for anyone who can't on, see this, go. he's gonna, he's doing it. He's doing it. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, guys, you're, I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have to it, put it this onto my Instagram. Old, so all the moves you know what? I've just, I've just been saying to the people that won't be able to see this, I'm going to have to take that part of the recording and put it on Instagram because he was, <laughs> he was popping all parts of his body out. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> but, I, I, I was always doing both, but never together, you know, only for my friends in my backyard. So I was DJing on the banks of Loch Ness at a festival called Rock Ness. And I was headlining on the Saturday. 
And my, my best friend, Toby, who's the D, who's Toby one DJs for the prodigy. He opened up for me. I mean, he headlined on the Friday. Then they kind of swapped the headlines. I'm like, I don't want to follow Toby. He's just so good. So he's playing this banging set. And I come on. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like shitting bricks. So I start playing more, my kind of more party vibes. I play stuff that people might recognize. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to educate people. I'm just trying to get people having a good time. Um, and so I'm DJing and then it's starting to go. And I think I played Len, Steal Your Sunshine. I like finding those old songs that got rinsed, but if you wait long enough, you can play them and they make people, oh my God. So all these, all these like, you know, 21 year olds are coming over the deck, grab you. This was my favorite song as a, as a kid. And you're like, awesome. And then they're just start taking their clothes off. It's like all these girls, I mean, they kept their bras on, but the guys were all shirtless. The girls are out in the tent, half naked. Amazing. We're 15 deep in the outside the tent. And I'm looking at all these half naked people. And I'm like, what the heck am I going to do when I turn 50 or 40? This is before I was even 40. And I'm thinking, I know I'll bring my love of barbecue with my love of DJing and I'll create DJ barbecue. Cause I just thought that I was known as DJ fuzzy nuts back then. And I thought I'd re- rename myself and cook for them. Cause the quickest way to someone's heart is through their stomach and their ears. So if I can give someone good food, good music, I'm going to give them a good time. And at festivals, like big, big festival, camp festival. If you can't hear us, you might be able to smell us. But if you can't smell us, you're going to definitely hear us. Yeah. So they might gravitate towards us because they wonder what's going on. We we are a destination. Like I've seen people like Fatboy Slim, Norman Cook. We we fed him for his his birthday party um, right before his headline set on the Saturday at Camp Festival. So we just did a couple pulled porks. Uh, I had Nathan Outlaw there doing his fish burgers for him. It was like a feast and a half. And and like I remember seeing Kate Winslet and her husband come over. They wanted a tour of the cooker, and I'm feeding um, her her husband all this barbecue. And afterwards, he's like, man, that was delicious. But I got to tell you one thing. I'm vegan. I go, <laughs> I'm so sorry for vegan. She's like, no, I can tell you care. I can tell that you source your meat really well. So I figured I'll give it a taste. And I got, I've only recently gone vegan. So it wasn't that bad. And I'm not oh, mad at wow. it. I go, you're my that favorite vegan. That is wicked. So, but like when you started it, how did people like, what was the reception like? Were they a bit like, this is actually pretty cool? Or were they a bit like, not sure how that's going to work or? It, I mean, we see. I have always dressed up for my for my DJing sets because I think DJs are pretty damn boring when they're on stage. You know, it's just knob twiddling, and you know, it's a lot yeah. of work to DJ yeah. and pick a good set. But I want my mom's from the disco era, so it's all about outfits and pizzazz. So I started making outfits and getting them custom built for me because at least if they're not going to have a good time with the music, they might laugh. And again, that's a good way into someone's heart is getting them putting a smile on their face. So we do a lot of costume changes. We have our own stage at the festivals. You know, say we've got a big queue for burgers or our roast beef sandwich. You know, I've got to entice, I got to, I got to keep this crowd entertained. So T-Bone, Chris Taylor, who I wrote the book with, he'll just get on top of the stage, grab a shovel and I'll just play. Don't want to miss a thing by Aerosmith and just some ACDC and a Dwayne Johnson. You're welcome off the Atlanta soundtrack. And we've got the crowd yeah. having a good time singing along because i mean i think Dwayne the rock's the greatest living human in the world i mean he is probably a, he's a better actor than benedict cumberpatch and i'm saying it right there <laughs> and i like benedict cumberpatch although <laughs> i think his american accent and dr strange ain't all that i, I literally do don't even know what to say i think a lot of people <laughs> would probably agree with you to be honest 
is brilliant. You know what? I'm desperate to get The Rock on the on the podcast, actually. And his people keep saying no, and it's starting to annoy me. So if anyone hears this, I want The Rock on this podcast. I know his... I know... So I was shooting a commercial, an infomercial with Kid Rock. And I was down in Florida with these guys, and... I was always, I, I grew up watching wrestling. So I grew up on Macho Man, Randy Savage. So did my Hulk brothers. Hogan. So I indirectly know a bit about it because they would practice all the bloody moves on me. That was why. Oh, you, are you okay? <laughs> I'm not really, no. You're tough, aren't you now? <laughs> yeah. So you're like, I, I got it. <laughs> Coming off the top ropes. Oh, yeah. You want some excitement, hitter? You got it. Oh, macho Man, Randy Savage. He's the wrestler in the first Spider-Man. That's the Macho no. Man, Randy Savage. And by the way, my whole house is Macho Man. I've got Macho Man dolls, uh, art prints. I, I, I pretty much watched him religiously. That's how I used wow. to present my youth program. Anyway, I'm, I'm down there and I'm, I'm wearing a Macho Man, Randy Savage shirt. And uh, guys on set were like, hey, you know, um, that girl over there, she, that woman that, are, I forgot, God, my, I'm, my, I'm punch drunk from jet lag. Um, that they, she knows a lot about wrestling. So, I started talking to her and I go, Hey, I, I hear you're really into wrestling. Uh, the best match I ever watched was nature boy, Ric Flair versus black Jack Mulligan. And she, I'm telling her these stories about what I saw when I was like 11 with my, my uncle rip, my mom's brother. And she's like, she starts crying. And I go, why are you crying? She's like, black Jack Mulligan was my grandfather and he just passed away. And I used oh, to cook. My wow. family. I'm like, black Jack Mulligan is your, is your grandfather. She's like, well, my whole family wrestled. Um, my father's the IRS, Irvin Fleischer. He used to wear a suit with a briefcase. That was her dad. Her two brothers were current U.S. champions at the time. So I'm like, oh, my God, you do know wrestling. Anyway, next day, we're talking, and we're like best friends now. And I, I kind of snooped on her phone because I saw Dwayne Johnson text come in. Because I was right next to her, and I see this huge text come in. I go, I, go, I, I didn't mean to see that. Did you just get a text from The Rock? She's like, yeah, Uncle 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 Dwayne oh, is his family. He's family. Wow. And I'm like, that wasn't just a little text. That was like a full on. He's like, well, yeah, he, he used to live with us a lot of the times when he was kind of starting up in wrestling. And my father took him under his wing. Um, his father used to wrestle my grandfather. I go, I know Rocky Johnson. I used to go watch Rocky and Blackjack wrestle. I've seen this happen. So I might have an in for you, you know? <laughs> Listen, whatever you can do, I, I I will owe you a steak dinner if okay. you work if you can sort it out. <laughs> you, you buy you buy I you buy I grill, okay? Perfect, sorted. There we go. I like that. I like that. So let's talk about the book Fire Feasts. I want to know why you wrote it. Uh, what's your favorite recipe in it? Tell us about sort of the concept of it. Okay, so Fire Feasts we. We, our first book was the barbecue book. It was a little book that we did with Jamie Oliver and it got us on the map and it had a lot of my old, my, my the ones I've been cooking my whole life. Then we wrote fire food and that's when I got, I basically got divorced. I got separated and I lived on my own for a year and I just cooked every day in my backyard. I lived right behind the high street in Sydney and I would just go to the butchers and I did a lot of traveling around the world and I would just, I pick up ideas and I see how people are cooking and get inspired. And and fi- that was like kind of our Bible. Then we kind of did the burger book, which was fun. We wrote it for indoor and outdoor cooking. And I just and I wanted to do to take all that knowledge. And I also wanted to explore a lot of my grandparents' recipes. So when my 
when my grandparents passed away, my father collected recipes from all the siblings and cousins and said, what were your favorite food from grandma and grandpa? And he put a book together with a lot of the recipes, just, just for the family, like a, you know, a homemade book. Yeah. My dad's all about that. And I went and, and I read these books and I looked at all the recipes and I'm like, oh man, oh yeah, I remember grandma doing that. Oh, so I, there's a lot, we did a dessert chapter for the first time in this book. So I called the best baker in the country, 2017 Baker of the Year. He's got three uh, taste awards for his brownies and everything. And I called Dave, I go, here's a lot of my grandma's recipes. Can you take these and put them into a modern way of writing? And so I got her apple pie in there, her caramel oh. squares, the, the Jewish coffee cake, which is what I grew up on. It's my favorite cake in the world. And you can have it for breakfast. So that's in there. Seriously, Jewish coffee cake. Nice. Probably the top three favorite thing in the book. So there's desserts. Um, and that's all grandma and grandpa's. I remember I used to have this thing called spoon bread, which uh, I used to eat a lot of Appalachian food. So kind of, you know, the Appalachian trail down the East Coast. So you know, Virginia, Carolinas, Georgia, and a lot of that food. So it's kind of peasant food. And that's where tomato pie comes from. Tomato pie is kind of like uh, like a redneck lasagna. Um, and that was so popular from fire food. And we would make so much of it, we would have leftovers. So we decided to kind of take it out of the fridge, make it kind of into an arancini ball and do like the kind of egg wash with it. And we do nice. deep fried tomato pie tomato pie balls in the new book and it's just crack in food form oh, literally uh, i'm salivating <laughs> sticky ribs uh we got return of the mac and cheese with crisp with a uh, pork belly return yes. of the mac oh my god remember that one of the best songs ever ever written can, i'm afraid can, can i read you one thing from oh, yes. from, that, from that book okay oh hold on so we wrote the best kebab recipe in the world it's okay. called, and, and I let Chris, uh, it's called chicken kebab. That is good. And it is just one of the most gorgeous oh God, marinades. Oh a photo he's showing me and it looks It's like a sublime. pepper sauce marinade on there. Um, okay. Oh, rever- we, everybody's always like, how do you do reverse sear? And, I, and so we got it for you. We got reverse oh, sear in there. Um, so there's oh. a few sort of like tips and tricks in there as well to sort of totally. sort yourself and- out. And then I got my grandma's uh, Texas hash. Oh, it's pretty much like a wow. uh, like a risotto yes. uh, or risotto. What do you guys say? And that, but I use long grain rice uh, and beef mints. You know, a lot of the recipes that these are the recipes that I ate a lot as a kid. That just I just made them better than my yeah, oh, my yeah, mom's yeah. recipes are good, but I just you know use better ingredients. Um, and you know we just added a bit here and there. But the return of the mac. And cheese. Oh, we're bringing back the the mixed grill. You know, you used to go to restaurants and stuff in Austria and Germany. So we, we've uh, we've we've turned that into the most craziest thing ever. Um, oh, and you know what a frickle is, right? No, like a, uh, like a deep fried oh, pickle. I I had one for the first time. I think in uh, like October last year. <laughs> Did you like it? Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. Okay. You've ever had a pickle back? So that's a shot of bourbon with a pickle juice chaser. No, but I've heard of I, I've heard of them. We make fricklebacks, so you actually get to do the shot of bourbon, and then you get a snack afterwards. So you, we kind of like do yeah. an onion bhaji style with the pickles, so like a flour, a, a spice flour. And we shallow fry them, 
So, and we do like a Worcester sauce mayo dip. So you do the shot of bourbon and then you, you know, and you help line your stomach with a, with a tasty, with a tasty snack. Okay. So this is my favorite line in the whole book. I know it's a bit crazy. Uh, so I got to find the mac and cheese. Everything's in alphabetical order. Here we go. Page 48. Okay. By the way, my Remember favorite, my that, favorite page in, in, uh, in fire food is page 113 of tomato pie. 48. Here we go. So return of the mac and cheese. Um, now, you want the belly to get to a rich color and tighten up on the outside. When the pork belly is done, remove from the heat and lightly wrap in peach paper, also known as butcher's paper or foil, and let it rest while you return to the Mac. Oh, my God. Return of the Mac. Now, I know Mark Morrison was a bit of a dick, but he did come out <laughs> with a jam. You lied to me. Yes, I cried. Yes, I cried. I spelled cried in a book. C-R-I-I-I-E-E-Y-Y-D. Three Ys. Cried. I honestly think that might be the pinnacle of your sort of academic career. <laughs> I spelled cried. By Mark Morrison. You know what? You might get that into the English dictionary if you're not careful. <laughs> I, mean, I just want to win. A, I, I just want to win a, a James Beard Award for this Literally. book. You know, because no one's <laughs> no one's spelling out Mark Morrison's cried. I hope he gets sent a copy. <laughs> we got to send a copy to Mark Morrison. <laughs> We're returning the Mac, and hopefully he won't sue. <laughs> yeah, actually, hold on. Before I say that, I might get done for like association there. Yeah, we don't want to be, you know, he, I'm sure he's mellowed out. In his, yeah, his I'm sure he years, has. You know? So the reason why we're also here, aside from just having an absolute barrel of laughs, is to talk about the wonderful Taste of London, who are celebrating 18 years uh, this year, which is, is just incredible. Now, you're, as I said in the intro, you're kind of like part of the furniture. You are the destination that we want to go to at Taste of London. So talk to me about your relationship with Taste. What have been some of your favorite moments? How has it evolved? Just kind of tell us the whole story. It's, 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 been, it's been a fun journey with Taste of London because, you know, I, I've been going to it for years. And at first, I'd just be on these peripheral little stages doing a little demo and then they'd give me a couch and then I'd interview some, you know, some chefs. And then they started giving me my own little stage. Well, that little stage had fire and, and we dress in crazy outfits. Now you go to most demos and you see chefs and it's kind of the norm, you know, they're in their chef whites. They got their little Madonna mic and they're sitting there and they're giving you process, but people don't watch. I mean, most people don't watch uh, food demonstrations to learn how to cook. They watch it to be entertained. And that's what we do. So we've got every year it's evolved and it's just tons of like smokers and cookers and grills and, and on platforms, they got food hanging, veggies and, and, you know, pineapples and fruit, you know, I think people don't really, you know, they think meat, but they don't really think fruit and veg, which also love live fire. So we embrace all that vegan, vegetarian and our meat stuff. And a lot of chefs love coming over there and a lot of chefs get a bit nervous, you know, but we, you know, cause they're on kit. They're not really used to. Mm. And it, it just always makes it fun. Cause I'm DJ and whilst we're doing it, I mean, Jack Whitehall came with his crew last year and we were cooking up with Jack and having a ball um, with him and his boys. So it's just, we're now the main stage, which is fun. It's evolved from our little stage to this kind of juggernaut, and everybody wants to be there because it's a show. 
um, you know, music, food, good times. It's good food, and, and good times. And it's time. kind of what we both said. If you can't see it, you'll smell it. If you can't smell it, you'll hear it. And if you can't hear yeah. it, you'll you'll see both and hear and smell all the above. That's it. it, That's it. It's it's so much fun. And if you can, do you, could you give us a little sneak preview into what um, is going to be happening this year? Have you got any plans or ideas set? We've got so our contraptions are getting even more crazier because the hard part is making sure people can see the food. So, you know, you don't want to have just everything sitting really low because yeah. only people in the front. So now we've got, we're getting higher and higher so you, we can hang stuff and, you know, and that also is like tempering the food, you know what I mean? And mm. showing all those techniques of like hanging these big hunks of meat before we get them over the live fire. But we have, we've even got fires higher. So we've got big fire bowls, fire, you know, grills. Uh, and then we got people like Nicholas Ekstad, who's like the face of Swedish food. And, you know, he comes over and he loves it because he's got all these contraptions and he, his whole kitchen in Sweden only runs on fire. I mean, everything. Um, and I remember when I first met Nicholas Ekstad and he, he and I was hosting him and everything. Hey, you got Nick, Nicholas Ekstad coming to your stage. I'm like, who's that? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm not a Michelin guy. I'm yeah, a guy yeah, who yeah. in backyards and worked in restaurants my whole life, you know. And, and then I, I see this guy, this beautiful Adonis of a man. And I look at him, I go, you're beautiful. There's no <laughs> way you've been a chef your whole life. What'd you do before this? And he goes, I was a pro snowboarder. I go, oh, okay. I used to make uh, snowboard films for a living. He's like, no way. I go, yeah. He goes, what movies did you make? I go, well, I made Odd Men Out. He's like, you did not make Odd Men Out. I go, yeah, 94, 95, I made a movie called Odd Men Out. I was like, I own it. I have it on VHS. He goes, what else did you make? I go, I made a movie called Day Tripper. The one, he goes, the one in the school bus. I go, yeah, the one in the school bus. He's oh like, my I've seen it. So next, he comes back the next day for his demo. And he's like, I've already called Swedish Tourism. They're going to fly you out to come snowboard and, and skate with me. And we're going to cook in my restaurant. I go, okay. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and that was a sort of a beautiful friendship, I hope. That's it. Last time we had him um, at a festival, uh, my son, I brought my son with me. And Nicholas didn't hang out with any of the other chefs. He just basically spoke to my son and my son's best friend, uh, Harry, for the whole night. Just Because my kids skate and he's a skater. And, you oh, know, I'm probably sick of talking about food. So he used to yeah, hang out with these yeah, teenagers yeah. and he's got young sons. So I think he likes to see what his sons might turn into, you know, like, you know, two dads who shred and cook over live fire. With, with skateboarding, snowboarding kids. And I think it was nice it. for him. I love it. Uh, I love it. And my, my son's it. just not even JD. He's like, you know, oh, you guy's cool. I'm like, that's Nicholas Ekstad. He's like huge. He's like, yeah, he seems like a nice guy, Dad. <laughs> Brilliant. So we're coming towards the end of this chat. And I always finish with a few quick fire questions. Are oh, I you love ready? Can I give you one first? <sighs> okay. Go for okay. it. Do you have any weird food combinations that two foods that shouldn't go together, but when you put them together, it kind of works? I asked the Subways that question once, and he said apricots and a spaghetti bolognese. Um, I remember interviewing the Cribs, and they said they discovered chocolate-covered pretzels, but I think people kind of know that salt and savory Uh and chocolate does work. So I was at, this is going to sound boring. This is the first thing that comes to my mind, but I have, I feel like I was the original creator of this, which was peanut butter and Marmite. And then they actually made it. Peanut butter and Marmite? Yeah, but now it's actually a thing, which is a bit annoying because I feel like I could have made a lot of money by creating that. But it has to be crunchy peanut butter. 
That's the mm. other thing. I, I, I'm not It's always got to be crunchy yeah, peanut butter. Yeah, I don't like smooth peanut butter. I'm trying to think what other weird combinations. Like, I'm, I can't think of it right now, but it's like, I'm that person, like one of my favorite meals at home is kind of like putting a few random bits on one plate. So it, they may not necessarily go together. They might be really different cuisines, but then they kind of work. You know, my, my stepdad, Ralph, uh, he was an electrician. And he at, at, on Sunday on Sunday roast days, he would take the chicken, uh, the stuffing, the the cranberry sauce, the you know the green bean, everything that was on the plate, and he would just put it all together. He just Love he it. was folded all together. And I was like, oh my god, it's disgusting. Because if I my kids see that, they'll freak out. I started doing it, yeah. and it just tasted better. Yeah, just I, I, everything I together. Like everything together. Yeah, and then Some just people, gravy all over yeah, it. Yeah, just shove loads of gravy on it. It's all good. Yeah, I, I, I actually... Now, that's a good question because I actually... I'm probably doing it every day and I haven't realized. And now I'm going to have to message you every time I come up with a new combination. I feel like that could be an interesting cookbook, actually. we might, You and I might need to go into business on that one. Okay, well, just I, I'm going to give you my number at the end of this and I want you to text me whenever you every find time. two foods that shouldn't go together, <laughs> but they work together. Yes. Okay, we're going to start these questions because I think you're going to love them. Okay. Okay, bring them on. What is the craziest food you've ever eaten? Oh, gosh. Oh, my goodness. Um, now, I've asked this question of so many people. Can I give you some of the answers that I've been given? No. Okay, fine. All right. Okay, fine. I feel mean now. My favorite okay. was I asked Gizzy this question, and she said she had a raw sea cucumber willy. Yeah. And I, I've also asked her the same question. <laughs> you know what happened to the, to the willy. It got yeah. hard when she put it in her mouth. Um, Ali Hercules. one of the best. Ali Hercules had had uh, otter, which she said wasn't that good. And um, do you eat then, all parts of the animal? Do you like offal and things like that? Yeah. Oh man, I love me some offal. Yeah. I mean, I love a, I love like a, a faggot and gravy. You know, I love. Yeah. Pig's see, heart. I'm not big on things like that. So for me, that seems like quite out there. I I think a, if you're if you're nervous about offal. I think the faggot's a really good way to go because it's kind of all chopped up. It's in a little mm. parcel of call fat mm. and and it's peppery and it's meaty. And I think it you don't you don't think awful. Yeah. Even though you probably are thinking awful. I am. Um, but I, I love <laughs> okay, I did eat I ate bear rump in uh in Finland, and then I also and I went to Lapland and I had reindeer heart. Oh, raw. Wow. Oh, wow. I had raw okay. reindeer heart. Um, that was pretty crazy. That's a good one. Yeah. I'll take um, that. Uh, my friend had steam had a, had a big steaming. Uh, he had cow's pe- steamed cow's penis. Yeah. No. <laughs> we, we you got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> he said it was horrible. <laughs> yeah, I bet it was. Okay. Next question. What's been your most memorable meal? My most memorable meal. Um. Okay. I, I went to a place in Bushwick, New York, and I had a thing called Outside Brown. And I never heard of Outside Brown. And you ever had burnt ends of the brisket? Oh, it's like, yeah. And so they've Love got it. the kind of oxidation from the wood smoke and all the rub, and they get a little sauce, yeah. and they just get mm-hmm. kind of like a bit of – it's a little bit of chew, but it's a good chew, you know? So my friend Tyson Ho, who used to run the Arrogant Swine in Bushwick, New York, 
you, he knows barbecue in Carolina better than anybody. And he sits in just all the places and just sits there all day and watches what the locals eat. And he noticed that a lot of people were asking for outside brown. Um, and he was like, and he asked the guy, what is outside brown? It's like, it's the outside parts of a pork shoulder. You know, when you get pulled pork, but all the outside oh, bits, yes. like the burnt ends. So my buddy, he, he cuts the shoulder into big slabs. So he's got more circumference area to make outside brown. I put it in my book, but I can't because he's going to do it in his book. And I can't <laughs> do it. I asked him if I can do it. He's like, Christian, I need to save that one. I go, fair enough. Was fair it enough. absolutely I sublime? Yeah, I, I always order it when I go there. Okay. And I always say people to get it there. He also does a mac and cheese waffle that's pretty dang good. So oh, I always have an outside so- brown with a mac and cheese waffle and, uh, and next level ribs. Tyson's one of my favorite Heavenly. chefs in the world. Heavenly. Okay. Yeah. Very important question. My favorite snack of all time is a packet of crisps. What is your favorite flavor of crisps and why? It's like the Desert Island crisps question, isn't it? You know, what are my favorite crisps? Um, am I allowed to put? Am I allowed to do a dipping crisp, or has it got to be just a crisp on its own? It's up to you. I mean, I, whatever you do, I'm going to judge. All right. <laughs> all right. So my favorite crisp. And it's weird. My friend's dad and mom invented this this snack. Okay. So my friend Carta lives, well, he, he's in Thailand now, but he was living on the Thames and on a minesweeper. He's a hippie. And his mom and dad are hippies. And they had a roasting, uh, oil roasting company. Uh, like They would make oils from nuts and things like that. And they had a little bakery. But they didn't like any of the potato chips or crisps, as you guys call it in this yeah. country, in America. So they invented kettle chips. What? Yep, that's that's my friend Carter Healy's mom and dad, and um, we actually I did a TV series. You could series all see my face right now. My I know. mind is blown. The black pepper and salted uh, kettle chip, I think, is the best uh, crisp ever ever created. Okay, so I used to be part of the kettle chip fan club, <laughs> um, and I'm also going to need his number as well. <laughs> I'm going to send you a photo of him. He sent me a photo last week and he's just covered in baby cats. I need need all of them on this podcast. So do you know how they came up with a lot of those flavors? No. Mom and dad and the kids. I think there's like three of them. And, and a lot of, and a couple of friends, they would have these kind of idea parties, you know, where they would come up with like the, the mesquite. Uh, chili and so okay so that crisp reminds me of my childhood and they me too and they discontinued it i know why i didn't want to to bring it up because if i brought it up everybody's gonna get mad at me they can't have it it's the best what is wrong with them single best crisp in the history of crisp and that's why i've got to go to the, the 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 uh the black pepper one i'm sorry you know what I'm calling Carter right now in Thailand. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I know we're busy. I'm going to leave a little voice message Carter. Carter. Oh, this is literally one of the best conversations I've ever had. All right, Carter, um, you need to bring back. It was Mesquite and Chili. Was that what it was called? Salsa Mosquito. Salsa Mosquito. That was it. Yeah. Uh, why did you guys stop that, Chris? This. You mean you did the rosemary one with all the wine, the red wine and rosemary, you know, you did the black pepper. You guys do all the kind of weird 
cheesy ones. Can you just bring back salsa mesquita? Please. Thank you. Uh, love to your family. Please tell your mom I said hi. Angel's a darling. Laters. Bam. That there we go. brilliant. Okay, that is just... that. I honestly think that might be one of the best crisp potato chip conversations I've had in a very long time. I can't oh believe that that's your favorite God. crisp because it's mine. So wait, no, no, no. So my favorite crisp of all time is actually a pickled onion Monster Munch. But... Uh but then they're, they're actually made out of maize. They're not actually technically a potato chip. If we're going to get really technical here, but I'm a massive fan of kettle chips because because I like the, the I like the thickness of them. But that salsa mosquito was my childhood, and I'm still yeah. devastated. So I think the, we need to start a petition. Okay. Well, I mean, I've already Carter's on the ball. Okay. All right. Um, I'll ch I'll chase him again tomorrow. Thank you. Um, I I don't know his father. I know his mother. Because I won a BAFTA with his mother. Really? Yeah. How I took come? A, I took a I took a bunch of kids into Winnebago and we toured around the Pacific Northwest. We did Colorado, Utah, Idaho, and Oregon. We skated all the parks. We got to Portland, and his mother keeps a house, so she has a post office box in Portland that she comes. But she mainly lives on an island and blows glass and smokes weed off Vancouver. I'm literally obsessed with her already. And uh, Angel is one of the best humans in the world. I threw out my neck from headbanging whilst I was driving 10 hours from Idaho to, uh, to Portland. And I threw my neck out. And I had, I, had, I had two more weeks of skateboarding and filming. She takes me to some dude. And I'm like, can you just like, fix my neck, right? And he doesn't touch me. He doesn't touch me once during the whole thing. I'm like, you got to fix this. And all I hear is clicking and whirling of plates. And next year, he's like, move your neck. And I, I go, I guess I can't. And he was like, hold on. Ooh, whirl some more plates. Does sends like some light beams and sends hurts through me. Like he used sound and energy and light. And he goes, now move your neck. And I went, whammo. I go, oh, wow. I can't believe this. He's like, I learned this technique from an English guy who sadly died in a car accident having his head cut off. The irony. There's just so much to process here. I know. But Angel sorted my neck out. The well woman done, who invented kettle we chip. Love, this is just, this is, this is a conversation. This conversation is going to continue on. I'm just letting you know. Okay. <laughs> let's get back to these questions. We've got two more left. Okay. What's, sorry. What food sums up happiness for you? What food sums up happiness for me? Okay. I, I grew up with day old baked potatoes always in the fridge. And I think that the potato is one of the best inventions in the whole world, apart from, from uh, women. I think women are the best. <laughs> you guys procreate. You know, you guys. We are pretty yeah. fabulous. You're superheroes. Yeah, we are pretty cool. We, I bow down to women. You got what you guys can do is no, insane. Yeah, no. We are, we are pretty amazing. So America quit messing with women's bodies, man. Body autonomy. Let them make decisions. Damn Dickheads. right. Sorry. Damn right. Yeah. No, um, we, it's always good to get a bit political at some point. Ah, Come on. I, we got, got to. It. So they will bake potatoes. They make everything. So they make the best chips. I've yeah. had. Home, home economist for Tom Carriage, Jamie Alvin, go, your chips are better. I can make home fries. I can make hash browns, you know. You can make so, crisps. You can make crisps. And my favorite food to do is I love breakfast foods. And I love doing breakfast. So I do like 
I, I, I saute a bunch of onions, some peppers, some mushrooms, and then I fry off the, the day-old baked potatoes. I chunk them all up, and then I throw them all in the pan. So then I've got this killer like kind of hash, American hash, home fries, they're called. Home fries are hashes. And then you can turn it into like a Spanish omelet or tortilla where you just whip up a bunch of eggs, pour it in there. You know, put it in the frying pan, cover it all up, throw it in the oven so it cooks, take it out, pop it Done. down, upside down. You've got the, to- the, the, yeah. the Maryland tortilla. That's what yep. we call it in the new book. So to me, that's that's the happiness food because it's it gets my day going, makes me happy. Especially if you're hangry, you just need to get some food in you, you know? Yeah. Although I freaking love a fish taco. A grilled Ooh. fish taco is probably death row meal in a, in a ribeye. Is it really? Home fries, yeah. fish taco, ribeye. Yeah. Oh, and a baked potato with tons of uh, chopped spring onions, chopped tomato, and sour cream. Ooh. And there's a sour cream at my local uh, Bulgarian uh, supermarket. That's like 18% fat from Bulgaria, and it's the best sour cream in the world. If you ever come down to Sydney, go to Istanbul, get yourself the best sour cream. It's a heart attack waiting to happen, but it's so damn good. You know what? You only live once. (laughs) Final question. Live to eat or eat to live? Man, that's this is a great question. Live to eat or eat to live? Um I I I I Oh God, man! I know. See, the thing is, I cook for a living, so I really enjoy cooking for people. I I, I enjoy I enjoy eating, but I I more enjoy watching people eat. And I love everybody always says, "Can you do the ordering for me wherever we go? Can you do the ordering? I'm just going to order what you get because you're yeah. good at ordering, yeah. you know." So I really enjoy that side of eating with friends and and feeding. I'm a feeder, you know. Uh, by the way, if you ever meet Dave Carter from Smokestack, he's a feeder. Always go visit him. Say hi. I hear. Oh, I hear well. you're a feeder. He'll just start putting food in your mouth. Love. He's that. one of them. Yeah. He's from Barbados. His mom, you know, Barbadian. Boom, feeders. So it, it's a tough question for me. I guess I, I guess I live to eat with friends. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a really like diplomatic, nice answer. To be fair. <laughs> you don't want it. diplomatic. <laughs> you don't want diplomatic. That's, and I haven't given you diplomatic since I've been here. <laughs> well, you know, it was, it, you, you, it was, I think it was a slightly safe answer coming from you, if I'm honest. What, what, do you, what about you? Do you eat to live uh, or you live to eat? No, no, I, I'm eat to live. Um, oh God, now you're getting me all confused. No, live to eat. I yeah. wake up, I think about my meal while I'm eating that meal. I'm thinking about the next meal. My, I am happiest when eating. I'm happiest when talking about it cooking shopping whatever it is i I always talk about it i'm always thinking about it and and i and i think and i'm always like suggesting food for people and where we can go and where we can get the next best meal i i do live to eat and it's just it just makes me so happy so there we go dj barbecue you are probably the best thing that has happened to me all month and beyond Thank you so much for joining me. Um, If we can't hear, see, or smell you, where can we find you on social media? So it's DJ Barbecue on Instagram. Um, I've got a ton of playlists on Spotify. I've got a big, I got a lot of mixtapes on um, SoundCloud. So if you want any of your parties, you know, musically catered for, I can help you. And if you want it catered for, well, I can help you with some books. 
There you um, go. And, the we, and we, have a, is, we have a YouTube channel as well. So I've got about 250 videos online. So oh, nice. if you, you can always cook along with me. You know, and you, the book is out it. now. It's called Fire Feast. You've got to get it perfectly in time, not just for the summer barbecue season, but for the, for the season that is the rest of this year and beyond. Thank you for saying that, Hannah. Barbecue is three six five, and, and the best time to cook barbecue is when it's not that hot out. You know, 100%. it's when it's a little bit cold out. You want to get out there. You want to get a little bit warm and just poke some food on a on a over an open fire. Absolutely. You have been the biggest delight. And um, if, you, if you sort out the rock for me, then you're going to be my best friend. And I, I think that's where you need to go with this. Anyway, guys, until next time. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time. Bye.